1: Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by Williot, scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth.
2: Welcome to the Mr. Beacon Podcast. This week, uh, the topic is return of the Physical Web uh, Association. So, there's an the obvious, um, or maybe not obvious, Star Wars reference. We, the, the Physical Web, uh, for for me at least, was like the new hope of uh, app-free. No typing of URLs, seamless discovery of information about places and things around us. And, uh, and then the empire struck back. Uh, Google, uh, Google dropped it. Um, and, uh, and now we have the return of the Physical Web Association. And specifically, we've got uh, James Grant and uh, Augustin Muzi. So thanks, uh, gentlemen, for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank and this you. is the first time we've had uh, two, uh, two guests simultaneously. Um, Augustine, where, where are you? I'm currently in Zurich, in Switzerland. And James, where are you?
0: Just north of London in the UK. <laughs> as,
2: as, as is appropriate for your accent and uh, as is not <laughs> appropriate for my accent, I'm in San Diego. So uh, I've loads of questions for you guys. I, I do want to recap a bit about what is the physical web and I'm gonna ask you basically what attracted you to it and in that way, hopefully we can make it a more interesting discussion of what it is because many people know, but uh, many people don't know. So we'll cover that and I, I want your analysis of what happened to the physical web. Then, you know, how did you respond to it? And then what's the news? You guys represent a uh, an association that's uh, some, doing some really interesting things. Um, Williot has just joined it um, and so maybe I'll talk a bit about that Um, but uh, the the key thing I'd like to get into is why you know what is this new instantiation of the physical web and why will this work so lots to cover before that I do want to do a quick uh, shout out to Starbucks Um, so Starbucks are not a sponsor of this uh, show but um uh, to get a little bit personal my uh, my son 's uh, eldest son 's nineteen he 's on the autism spectrum, and uh, Starbucks have got this amazing program where they offer people with disabilities the opportunity to work there and uh, you know if you 've got a kid with uh, with autism then uh, then school can be challenging but there 's a lot of support systems in place when they leave school and basically they're on their own. Uh, they, uh, uh, it, it's really tough. And uh, so uh, having a, um, a company that will give them a job and uh, coaching and support is, uh, is, uh, is an amazing thing. And the folks uh, here in San Diego at the Dwinder branch have been super welcoming and supportive. So um, uh, uh congratulations to to Starbucks for um, you know really doing an amazing thing, so getting all emotional let 's talk about uh, computers and technology and, uh, and, and and move on from from that so um james augustine uh, how, what what was it that attracted you to the physical web James, you want to take the start Sure
1: yeah yeah,
0: no problem. Um, so for those who don't know, the physical web is an open beacon technology for information delivery. And in its simplest form, a beacon transmits a very short URL which nearby smartphones can detect and therefore go to the relevant website without having to type in a web address. Um, and it was originally conceived by Google engineers as an open source project. And it was in, it had various incarnations. At one point, it was baked into Google Chrome on iOS. And at one point, it was baked into the Android notifications um, in stock Android. Um, But Google kind of abandoned the project about a year ago and slowly but surely kind of stripped back that functionality. Um, But nevertheless, there's a lot of people like myself and like Augustine who believe that that was the right approach to uh, using beacons for information delivery, to have an open standard that anyone can use and build upon rather than kind of very siloed individual experiences. Um, so that's what kind of attracted me to the physical web. Um, and also the idea that although Google abandoned the project, I still think it had very solid foundations. And I still think that there is a, um, a really strong need for it in the market. Um, and kind of my goal with inside the organization is really just to see that original vision through.
2: And um, James, what, what have you been doing with the physical web? Uh, how did you, you it, it appealed to you intellectually. Um, I'm assuming you've been using it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my my personal history with beacons is quite long. I run um, a small company called Live Beacon, which creates uh, a content delivery platform for uh, for beacons, and it existed before the Physical Web standard even did. Um, but when Physical Web was was announced, I thought, yes, this is the best approach—something that's open that anybody else um, can use—and and we rushed to kind of make sure that our product supported that open standard. Um, does that answer your question?
2: Yeah, I think it does. And uh, Augustine, how about you? What was it that that uh, kind of clicked with you uh, and and how did you embrace the original manifestation of the the physical web? Well, fairly aligned to the
1: idea that James just brought up is uh, I have a a, a company that's de- not say depending but but leveraging the technology of beacons. Uh, The company is called FlyerView, and the intention is really to to develop hybrid information exchange between paper and uh, and digital. So we we were quite focused on physical web as the technology would really make that uh, really viable on a large scale. And and in the in the course of decisions from Google and their changes, it became clear that that you know while they might be leaving it behind, there was a really significant opportunity for us to pick up and steward the direction of where uh, where the initial intention of physical web was 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 uh, uh, was going to to, to go. So, what for 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 the opportunity, I, I you know obviously initially I was quite a little, little bit discouraged uh, to to see that that Google had abandoned it, and then it sort of turned around the other direction to realize that, that this opportunity not only allowed us to um, to take it the direction that we would want it to be, but also to open it up more to a community and bring. Uh, multiple participants uh without a particular vendor's agenda driving the the adoption of a client the adoption of the notification logic or anything else so it was really kind of this this um i would say in a, in a nice way a, a bit of a gift that that google said well i think we're done with it and, and they handed it over to the committee so now it's uh, now it's really up to um participate participation and active participation by by not only vendors but anyone who wants to leverage the technology that you know that's it's funny about about the technology itself it's not really relevant as much as it is the content behind right so most of the most of the engagements that you're going to get with with any sort of um, uh, uh, sensor technology is going to be driven mostly around what what people want to do with it and and so that's part of where we were initially motivated, um, and then uh, from from our business point of view, and then later to the direction of the actual passion of of building something that's a bit decentralized, mm-hmm. and uh, and that that woke up not just James and myself, but several other participants that that were kind of building dependencies on their business dependencies on that technology. Some members of the uh, organization had companies, and others were just hobbyists, just wanted to get get involved, and so we have quite to say an active group of people that are that are really wanting to see the now that they understand the vision and the direction they want to take it a little bit further, um, so that's the that's the baseline for it.
2: So, so um, just to clarify, what is the Physical Web Association?
1: Well, so let me answer that question from the, the basis of our our intention is to steward this open source technology and to to gather, um, let's say the send resources and focus that towards not just having something like a, a, a universal client, which is one of the items that we want to do, but also continue and develop services and support to be a bit resilient. So it's not uh, that that this technology is somehow abandoned by, by a corporation later, and then all these companies have invested something into it, and then they're just left behind. So it's a bit like uh, sustainability as a play. And... It might be that at some point in, in, the, in the future, after we're, we sort of get this uh, a little bit further lifted, it might be that the community drives it forward and we're not necessarily the only participants that are sort of stewarding it, it would be opening up to the, to the community. So that, in, in an essence, is why it's a, an association and it's also why it's in, or why, what its priorities are. From the, from the idea of it being a Swiss organization, it just happened to be a, a very good location for it. Uh, that's been so yeah, tried yeah, and tested.
2: so yeah we we sometimes use this as a metaphor you are Switzerland and you're literally you are Switzerland you're in Switzerland and it's incorporated in in Switzerland so very that's very great. much a yeah. neutral <laughs> party and uh, and, and uh, you know as an observer of the physical web on one hand you know one of its greatest strengths originally in its first manifestation was hey it's been adopted by Google and they can put it right into the heart of Android but the flip side of that was it was no, I, I don't think anyone could imagine Apple saying, oh, yeah, those guys had a really good idea and uh, they got there first and now we're going to get on the wagon. It just d- doesn't happen that way, does it? Uh, so no, it really no. so I think there's uh, definitely some benefits in, in uh, neut- neutrality. So I interrupted you. Carry on.
1: No, that's exactly what I was going to say. So that's spot on. It's, uh, it's, it's the advantage of the Swiss neutrality in this case. Uh, it's Obviously, there's no real uh, dependency on Switzerland besides the organization's uh, corporate structure or structure and not corporate structure. structure. Okay. Uh, and, and of course, you know, there's a, there's a big future for, for sensors in general, right? We know that for sure. And it's a question of being able to open up the adoption of it outside of some sort of specific utility function, right? In, in information delivery, one of the aspects that James brought up at the beginning was that this is an extremely efficient uh, form of serving up information for, for, for devices that you carry with you or, or having some sort of engagement. And, and not everybody really understands that from the point of view of that sort of the old school version of beacons, right? Where there was an impossible set of criteria to be fulfilled in order to have a relevant engagement. And then by reducing some of the complexity, and that's what really physical web does, it really it opens up the potential for um, engagement. Now, there were some constraints right? There were some constraints that were brought forward and some excuses that Google brought forward as well to say why they didn't see the future in it. Um, And that's not something we necessarily think is unsolvable. I mean, in fact, actually, we're certain it's solvable. Uh, So in that way, just to frame it a little bit better, um, the purpose of the technology itself is to enable something relevant to happen to not only utility, but also, uh, you know, consumer's interest.
2: Very good. So, if um if this um if this association is successful you will have uh first thing is you'll have some uh neutral browsers that will take the place of uh what was there before um tell us what the state of play is there Yeah, shall
0: I? Shall I take this one? Yep. Yeah, so um so Google originally released the physical web app for iOS and Android. This was probably three, four years ago now, um, and they eventually kind of replaced that functionality with a small widget that was built into Chrome on iOS, and as we talked about, native notifications on Android. Um, But both of those uh, features or functionality has, has been removed now. What we've done is we've rewritten the original physical web app as a standalone application. It's available now on iOS, and hopefully by the time this podcast is released, it'll be available on Android as well. So a universal experience across both of those platforms. Um, but as Augustin said, I, mean, I think like a universal app is, is necessary just to give a, lane, um, a level playing field for content delivery. And so it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a content creator, a content owner, or a beacon hardware manufacturer, that there is a very, very simple and very, very universal way to use beacons to deliver information.
2: So at a practical level, um how does uh, a company that wants to create content for this physical web thing, how do they do that? And how do they make sure that their customers can get to it with this new paradigm?
0: Yes, so as it stands at the moment, it's it's pretty easy, but it could be even easier. Um, so at the moment, if you buy some beacons from any number of hardware manufacturers, whether that's Estimo or Contact or Williart in the future, um, you can um, use a smartphone to configure that uh, Bluetooth beacon to transmit a short URL. So typically speaking, it transmits a very short URL, and then we use a URL shortener or a URL redirection service online in order to point that to some other content. So that might be a specific page of content or, or whatever it may be. Um, that's, that's where we stand at the moment. I think one of the goals of the association in the midterm is to make that experience even easier. Because it's relatively easy to program a single beacon, but it's relatively... That's quite trivial, but it's quite a pain <laughs> to do that for hundreds of beacons, for example. Um, so one of the one of the initiatives we would like to start is a kind of universal standard that we could work with hardware vendors so that um, small organization and hobbyists are able to buy beacons that are pre-configured with the URL that they already have access to. Um, therefore meaning that you get your beacon through the post and there's there's no physical pairing necessary between your smartphone and the device to configure it. You can configure it entirely via a cloud portal. And, and again, this exists already um, by some vendors to some degrees, but it's quite a fragmented experience. It's dependent on the hardware vendor, dependent on the model, dependent on what you're trying to do. It's different, and so we're just hoping to uh, simplify that experience to make deploying beacons as easy as possible.
2: And so, what, what are the physical, what are the web URL shorteners that people can use today? If I'm just a hobbyist or I want to do a proof of concept, what what could I do today to take the limited um, packet length payload, the restricted URL length, and expand that into something which is as big as I need it to be? sure
0: so um historically google used to offer um, a beacon url shortener but i believe they've sunsetted it now so the previous links still work but they're no ex- no longer accepting uh new urls to be created um there's a number of companies out there that offer url shorteners not specifically for beacons but they can be used for that purpose perfectly uh, such as bitly tiny url Um, Alternatively, a lot of people choose to do it themselves, which requires a little bit more work, but it means that the base URL, so the beginning part, is a domain that they own. Um, So it's very common to register a very short but relatively obscure URL and then create some pages on that URL specifically for the purpose of redirection. Um, And lots of kind of beacon hobbyists um, opt for that route. Um, But as I said, that's kind of an additional step in the process that while not particularly hard, um, as we all know, every time that there's kind of a fork in the road of what you could do, um, it's something you need to spend some time considering and evaluating, especially before you roll out hundreds or thousands of these things. Right. So I think what we really want to do is is paint a very, very clear picture of not the only path, because of course there will always be applications for beacons outside of the physical web that aren't relevant, but we want to paint a very, very clear and simple path um, for the vast majority of people wanting to use beacons. Specifically for information delivery,
2: and, and let's kind of get to a couple of the essential things that make this strategy so compelling for e- even large organizations. Um, which is, you know, what is the cost of creating content for the physical web versus the alternative, which is, you know, either you develop an app uh, or you persuade people to type in a URL or tap an NFC tag or scan a, a, a QR code. And you know, just historically, as a consultant, one of my clients was uh, um, at San Diego Airport. So they have uh, millions of people, tens of millions of people going through the airport. We put some posters up in the, uh, in the airport, which was actually promoting a carbon offsetting scheme called the Good Traveler still running and it's actually expanded to many other airports now. But we had these smart posters and we experimented and we put uh, a QR code on some of them. We put uh, an NFC tag on others. We had URLs that people could type in. And then we had physical web beacons. Uh, And basically we we had differences in those URLs so we could track the conversion rate from all of those methods. Uh, And essentially there was a 50 to 1% ratio. 51 to, a, uh, to 1 ratio. If you added up all the people that typed in URLs, added them to all the people that went over with their phone and tapped the poster, and added that to all of the people that scanned the QR code, you took that number and multiplied it by 50. That was the ratio of visitors to the Good Traveller website uh, between those rather cumbersome methods of discovery and just getting a physical web URL uh, on your phone and and, uh, and tapping it. So that's one of the reasons why I believe in what you guys are doing, because I've seen that 50 to one ratio, and that's uh, incredibly powerful, fundamental to the, to the discovery process. Just for going back to the cost of developing the content, so on one hand, you've got the cost of developing an app. What, what, what does it take to create a website that can be used on the physical web? Maybe a stupid question, but.
0: Not at all. Augustine. do you want to, or shall I? Uh, Go ahead, please. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're comparing um, developing an app versus a a piece of content to deliver via physical web, it's it's not even comparable. I mean, if you're uh, an organization or an individual that already has a website, then you can use that existing content management system from that website um, to generate a specific piece of content that's not visible to the rest of the website. But leverages your existing content management system specifically to make beacon content that's very easy um, but alternatively you could use any number of free website building software like Squarespace or Wix um, to create compelling beacon content um, so it's more yeah you're delivering web content you're not delivering you're not going through all of the effort of building an application and there are there are certain there are many decent reasons for using an app over a website, but it's not always appropriate. And I think certainly in this emerging market where um, more and more devices and things are becoming internet enabled, that doesn't mean that every single device in your house or in your business needs its own dedicated app. I think that um, consumers will tire of that pretty quickly.
2: And i think um, there was some interesting work that was done with progressive web apps, which is a which is a technology that's independent of the physical web, which is essentially a discovery mechanism but 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 talk a bit about what you can do with pr- progressive uh, web apps and uh, and and what that experience can be like
0: and it's funny you should mention that so the physical web association, our acronym is p h w a because the p w a um acronym is short for progressive web app, and ah. so obviously we don't want any. We don't want any confusion there. Um, but progressive web apps are essentially a website that can do a little bit more than a regular website and it can access uh, various sensors on your smartphone um, and offer a certain level of offline functionality as well. Um, and that's really, really interesting. I mean, one of, the, one of the things we have on the roadmap for the uh, physical web app is to integrate web Bluetooth support. And uh, without getting lost in the weeds, I mean, that, that essentially means that you could, via a physical web URL, you could access the interface, um, for for example, for an IoT device, a smart home device. But then via the web Bluetooth protocol, it could enable two-way communication between that device. All within inside the same app, the physical web app that is, and that's all without a dedicated app specifically for that appliance. So that's quite exciting.
2: So what does that mean? That means the transport for the content becomes Bluetooth as opposed to Wi-Fi or cellular? Is that it? or?
0: So, yeah, so what it means, so the way physical web works, the way traditional beacons work is their one-way communication. Um, the beacon is pinging out a unique identifier, or in the case of physical web, a URL, um, but that communication is one-way. The smartphone has no ability to control the beacon. Um, so in the example that I just painted, um, you would still have a one-way communication between the beacon transmission, so the beacon would be transmitting a URL to the smartphone, which would provide... A progressive web app that allows you. So, for example, let's say we're controlling, I don't know, uh, a robotic remote control car.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The content would still be received from the internet. Okay. But once that content had been had successfully been received by the physical web application, you would get a prompt to allow Bluetooth access on the device, and then on top of that, the smartphone would be able to directly two-way communication communicate with the smart device via Bluetooth.
2: Oh, okay. So is, is is this the kind of thing where you might use it for like talking to an appliance or a parking meter or something?
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
0: Yeah, exactly that. It's where it's it's for the scenarios where you need two-way communication, and it's uh, it speaks to the progressive nature of progressive web app in the sense that the initial communication, so the information being received that's one way initially, is the first step, and then it progressively enhances into two-way communication between. Uh, the the, the smartphone and and whatever the device is
2: okay so it could Uh, be like an alarm clock you have a web interface to an alarm clock and you discover it through a physical web url
0: precisely rather than having to download a bespoke non-maintained um app for a you know non-branded alarm clock that you bought a few years ago um for all of these smaller appliances and you can imagine it happening with toys as well let's say you've got an action figure and you can reprogram it with new voices. Again, that's something that's a relatively small amount of interactivity that traditionally would require a dedicated app be developed and maintained in order for that to work. And part of the problem with apps historically as well is that even if they work on day one, um, if you come back to them a couple of years later, the smartphone ecosystem moves forward and sometimes you end up with apps that are completely non-functional after a couple of years.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, this happened to me just a couple of days ago. You know that old tool, that toy, the Spiro. Yes. You know, one that you could control. Hey, great little object! There was really early adopter for it, and I just discovered it while cleaning out an old box. And I thought, wow, what a great! I can see if it still works and introduce it. And none of my uh, modern smartphones could could find an app for it anymore, and they're not supported. So. Uh, you know, it's just it's 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 exactly the point that that maintaining apps in the ecosystem aligned with the platform, aligned with all this, it, it just becomes complex. And uh, you know, these devices um, they become waste immediately because you just don't have any you don't have any software to control them anymore. I,
0: I will say that this Internet of Things use case is just one potential application right. of physical web technology, and actually, it's one of the more advanced applications and the kind of. The scenario that you outlined, Stephen, in in an airport where you can receive information from a poster, that's the kind of traditional, um, very easy to get your head around, very simple use case of physical web. Um, But I think the key thing with it is it has to be information that people want to receive. And I think that one of the reasons that, that Beacon, specifically physical web, had a bit of a false start was retailers trying to use the technology for unsolicited spamming. Um, which is not a good application for the technology and one that consumers will get tired of very quickly. Instead, it should be providing genuine kind of utility and value.
2: Yeah, so when this was first um, kind of promoted and Scott Jensen was really the, 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 uh, the genius behind it and took the idea and I think he basically sold it to Google and Google adopted it and then, I don't know, We'll talk a bit about what we thought think happened. But in my mind, the white blood cells kind of rejected it for probably not very valid reasons. But, um, you know, if, if if I look at that, that original mode of operation was not pushed. This was not pushing spam messages. This was I'm in an environment. I see a physical web icon there and I start up my browser and I start interacting with uh, with services and content that comes from. The place, the posters, the machinery that I'm uh, near. And in Williot's case, we're actually interested in a different mode of operation where you're actually interacting with things, uh, packaging, products, uh, rather than stationary items. So that's a, that's a whole other thing and that requires a whole other um, discussion. But um, back to your apps, will there be any push element? Because Today, I have physical web browsers. I go down, I walk through Times Square. I was in Australia and uh, um, the Telstra lockers that are in Melbourne started. Uh, I, I saw an alert saying, oh, I'm near a, a locker that supports the physical web. And I've even <clears> been in Italy and seen uh, notifications from tourist attractions. So there's, there is a even though it was about the user pulling, there was this kind of push thing, which is kind of, I, I think, got the whole spam issue surfaced. Will there be any push elements once I've installed the physical web app from you guys?
1: James, Sorry. You, uh, let, me, Sorry. let me just let me just step in on that one just briefly. And then I think you're, the, the answer to that question kind of exists within the problem that you framed, which is that... You may not have been very interested in the lockers advertising to you that they exist, right? And every kid's toy that could possibly pass by you while you're wandering around wasn't necessarily what you were interested in. So if you have, uh, if you do have an interest in notification, it should be categorized around what you're interested in, and that is something that we care about, right? It's about creating consumer preference or at least user preference from the, from the permission to inter- interrupt. So on the basis of what we're trying to do right now is a little bit different than, the, us say, the trajectory, the, the, the medium-term trajectory of where, where we're taking the platform. So right now, if you download the app, it's like a, it's a pretty basic uh, uh, universal experience. It's it's elegantly designed. It's really quite in the same style as the original browser. Now, what happens when you provide a little bit more interactivity, a little bit more control about what? Kind of category? Uh, what kind of communication you want to be notified about? And then there's a secondary part about that, which is, what kind of notifications do you want? Do you never want to see content that is uh, advertising lockers unless you specifically require it? Versus, do you want to just have uh, the ability to browse to it when you're pulling versus when you're wandering through town and you've decided that you want to be notified about? Uh, let's say uh, active sales by certain, by vendors of some sort, and providing that granularity of permission to interrupt is is essentially what most uh, um, what most browsers really could not deliver before. They were looking for a universal solution to browse anything, right? And they were trying to handle it previously as well from a sort of centralized point of view. this says, well, you know, if it shows up once, maybe we want to drive how it won't show up again if you've swiped it away. Well, that's still sort of a a fairly weak level of control for a consumer if you're moving between locations. So most browsers, you know, let's say Chrome's notification system, they're really engineered for a stationary user, not an interactive moving user. And And so we're kind of shifting the gears on that so and in, in the, the answer to the question on that basic position is we want to provide notifications but but in the frame of allowing consumers or, or users to, to to select how they want to be notified.
2: Okay, so I can say, I, I don't I, want notifications, I do want notifications, and it sounds like where you're heading is having some granularity to select the kind of Um, services, content that will be able to generate notifications. How how can I do that? Because I think kind of the worst offenders of the spammers were these companies that were pushing uh, like real estate beacons that could uh, advertise real estate, which actually in many cases people would find very useful. Other cases people would find it insufferable. So how do you filter out the realtor that some people want to hear from and then other people don't?
0: And, and yeah, to, to answer that, um, we need to build a kind of categorization and ranking system. And Google was starting to make some strides in that, but it was never realized. But I mean, really, this is something that we would like for more members to join the Physical Web Association and help us design what that will look like and then help us build it. Because there shouldn't be one or two people at the top making these decisions. This should really be the Beacon community as a whole researching what works best for consumers and building that Um, and these are these are very very solvable problems and for example this might not be the way it's solved but for example um it might be that someone's preference might be that a beacon has to reach a certain threshold of views before it appears in a notification for them um removing some of the clutter that might not be the way it's solved that's just by means of an example but i think very much it's something that um it's a solvable problem, but, but needs to be um, designed by the community.
2: Right. So there's uh, potentially opportunities for categorization of, uh, of content that could be used. And then there's this other architectural element that we haven't really talked about. There, there was kind of a there was a, 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 a service um, that uh, ran in the cloud which, uh, so it wasn't, it was kind of logically, it was a URL comes from the beacon and it then uh, your phone sees it and it, it presents it. But actually there was another step. It kind of went up into the, in, into the cloud. Um, and is that an element that still exists in what you guys have uh, developed?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's called a metadata service. Um, and it's the little bit in the middle that just validates that URL and isn't malicious, that it's still active, and where it ultimately actually goes, where that short URL ends up. Um, and that was in Google's original specification, and we're still using a metadata service in the current version of the physical web app that we're launching. Um, the intention is to improve upon that and expand it. Um, I will say that we would like for this technology to be as decentralized and standalone as possible. Yeah, uh, but at the same time the physical web metadata service is reliant on sitting on a server somewhere um, what we've done is um, I think the one we're using, forgive uh, correct me if I'm wrong um, Augustine, might, might have been off Mozilla's implementation yep. uh, but so we are running a metadata service in the cloud that is maintained and paid for by the physical web association so that it is an independent entity um, but exactly how that will be developed and how it will be improved and where it will sit in the future and maybe it will be distributed that's kind of all up for grabs.
2: Okay so uh, a good reason for joining and uh, being able to uh, exercise a vote and help funding the, uh, uh, the operation of that service. Let's talk about how you plan to um, curate and uh, encourage people to collaborate. The, the old physical web uh, code was on github um, and uh, anyone could look at it um, but I don't see that today with uh, with what you guys have been doing so far what what's the plan there James do you want to take that We've yeah about-
0: um, so we're gonna stick the code up on github very shortly we just wanted to get it out the door on both iOS and Android before doing that because we didn't want to risk uh, a clone <laughs> popping up in Google Play before we got ours out the door um, now, obviously, as an open source product, still project, so that still means that people can download it and you know do what they want with it to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, we, that's the only reason that we haven't. It is on GitHub. It's a private repo at the moment, and we'll open it up as soon as we get the Android app up on the app store uh, on Google Play. Sorry.
2: Fantastic. Well, um, I remember when uh, the physical web was first uh, transitioned from being the physical web to. Eddie Stone URL, and we had Scott Jensen on the Mr. Beacon podcast, and he talked about it. And, um, you know, I did ask him uh, offline what, uh, you know, why, why it was pulled. Uh, what are your guys' theories as to why it was pulled? Uh,
0: James, I'm going to give you that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think Google are very good at supporting um, open source projects and starting open source projects that are aligned with their business goals. Um, and I don't mean that in a malicious way. I just think that, um, their play with beacons has gone in a different direction. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Google, my business and the, um, hundreds of thousands of beacons that they're sending out to businesses that are tied in with Google maps, but that seems to be their primary play at the moment. Um, so I think that their interest in physical work probably just ran its course. I don't think it's any more, um, but, but, I, but I will say that I think the reasons that the, the abruptness in which they shut it down, I think was a bit um, unfair to, you know, uh, only 12 months previously, they've been promoting the technology hard and there's, there was entire businesses that were built up around it. And I think that they pulled the plug with about 60 days notice, which I think is a little bit uh, a little bit rash. Um, <laughs> and I also think their, re, their, their, reason, their reason for closing it, one of their primary reasons was spam issues. I think for the company that kind of fixed email spam, and uh, with, with Gmail and also with their primary product being a search engine, which filters out spam. I think that's a little disingenuous to say that that was uh, the problem.
2: Yeah. But uh, no, I, yeah, that, I, I love the way you've said it with typical British understatement. But you, uh, I, I totally agree with what you've said uh, on, on all counts. So that's, uh, <laughs> um, that's good. Um,
0: but, but I should say, I should add, we wouldn't have the physical web at all without them. So, you know. Kudos
2: for kicking it off. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, Scott did an amazing job as an evangelist uh, of that and Google supported it. Just to kind of get into the another technical aspect of this. So what, what, what is the, um, if, if a beacon is configured with Eddystone URL, um, which was kind of the way the physical web ended up manifesting itself. Um, it had a Google um, manufacturer ID, a, a service ID. What, what what's that going to look like in the future? If I am creating, if I'm configuring my Estimote uh, or Contact IO um, beacon or any of the many other vendors that uh, you can uh, use for this, um, what's what's going to work in terms of the uh, that. Uh, and this is something that end users don't have to worry about, but it's something that the makers of beacons have to kind of put that code in there. Tell us a bit about what the implications are of that and how that's going to work.
0: Yeah, I think I think for the foreseeable future, it will stay with the exact same um, protocol frame type as the original specification. It's open source um, and it's backwards compatible with, you know, there is a huge number of um, physical web compatible browsers out there and there's no good reason to break support with them. Um, now, you know, potentially in a couple of years time, it might be that the association and its members, uh, feel that the protocol needs to be improved in order to add additional functionality, whether that's encryption or a greater level of decentralization. Um, but as it stands right now, the original protocol is sufficient. Um, so I don't think there's any good reason to, to change that. Okay, that's my, that's my personal opinion. But again, um, it's very much, when we say the physical web association, it, it is stewarding the original idea. It's not um, the same name but different technology. It's very much taking the original technology and improving upon it.
2: Love it. Very good. Well, I think we've covered a yeah. lot. Is but there you know, anything that we, we've missed out?
0: Well, the only other thing I'd like to add that I just think is quite, um, it's not directly relevant to anything, but I think that beacons are a really interesting technology. I, I see them very much as kind of the successor to kind of QR codes and NFC tags. Um, and some people sometimes talk about the relatively slow traction that the beacons are gaining, even though it is is—it is steady but slow. Um, but if you look at those technologies, comparable technologies, RFID took 20 years before, from its inception, before there was really a, Um, a widespread um, consumer application using it. Um, And I'm hoping it won't take that long with beacons, but I think that just as the the sensors become cheaper and more energy efficient and they become more prolific, uh, more widespread, the usage, I just think that, um, I think people who wrote off beacons after a couple of years were probably premature.
2: Yeah. Um, It doesn't
0: directly feed into any of our conversation. It's just that I think it's an interesting um interesting thing to consider
2: i totally agree and this is kind of standard operating procedure standard progression for any technology you have euphoria and disillusionment and then a kind of a, <laughs> a steady build and the question is how quick is the steady build going to be and uh, you know from our perspective speaking uh with my williot hat on as opposed to uh, kind of a more impartial view um you know, we, we the reason we've joined. Uh, we're not announcing anything uh, beyond just the fact that we've joined the Physical Web Association. But uh, you know, we uh, we plan to have uh, Bluetooth tags out there uh, in um, uh, large numbers of billions. Uh, so, uh, uh, clothing, uh, packaging for medicine, um, um, uh, car parts, uh, furniture. Uh, everything's going to have a web address, a unique identity. And uh, so the idea of having an app for every single one of those is just inconceivable to, <laughs> in my mind. Uh, and mm-hmm. so if we're going to scale, then it makes sense for for this technology to, to be successful. And uh, I, I think it would all allow... Uh, beacon adoption to scale a lot faster because you'll go from asking for a hundred grand to create a really great app to uh, basically uh, having something that any uh, teenager now with a good uh, web creation tool can create content and uh, that's just kind of the the baseline that's uh, a very important part of uh, allowing great content to be discovered in In new ways, and uh, reducing the friction, and bringing the physical and the digital world together faster. And ultimately, what we're dealing with is the massive power of the cloud and the the canvas of the physical world. Uh, And so that's you know why I'm optimistic. Plus, you know we're talking to and engaged and have customers which are some of the leaders in uh, everything from. clothing to furniture to telecommunications and so we've seen this interest from very large companies in solving this problem. So I'm very optimistic um, and I love the fact that you're doing this in a way that is uh, Swiss um, um, and building on the amazing work that Google did to to kick this off and hopefully doing it in a way that will uh, uh, appeal to all, all kinds of companies. So you know, thank you both for coming on to the show. I think this was fascinating. I'm sure we'll touch base again and uh, uh, well done. Thanks for having thank us.
1: You thank you very much for having us. us. Thank you.
2: All that remains is to kind of do the ceremonial warm-up question, which is to ask you guys about music and what three songs you would take on a trip to uh, t- to Mars. So uh, who wants to go first?
1: James James is a music fiend, isn't he? Oh, oh, I'm not are? sure about that,
0: but I'll go first. Okay. So I did give it some thought. Right. So uh, first of all, 2112 by Rush, Uh-oh. because it's immense value for money. It's a 20 minute song, So we're only <laughs> going to, to take three.
2: I like that strategy. Managed. Other people have adopted that in the past, and I think it's uh, yeah. very, very smart. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that was my first one. My second choice was uh, "She's So Heavy" by the Beatles, oh. um, because it's uh, I love butchering it at karaoke.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> you'll I'm be
0: up, singing in
2: <laughs> Okay, so you'll be singing along to that.
0: Oh, definitely. Okay. Um, and then my third one you probably have before, but um, it's the song "Go" by Public Service Broadcast.
2: No, I don't think we ever have. No. That's Why?
0: Fantastic song. Okay. It's, um, it's kind of electronic music, but they're kind of, it's cut with loads of real audio clips from, uh, from NASA. Oh. It's very space-themed. It's a good song.
2: That's brilliant. I- I'm going to listen to that. I don't think I ever have. So, uh, Augustine, what about you? So, so I'm, a, I'm a bit of a 70s guy.
1: So, that, that means uh, anything in that category, that's Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd's uh, uh, space. In, in in that era... Uh, if I have to pick specific songs, I go for um, uh, Landslide, which is a Fleetwood Mac song. So that's uh, kind of my era. I don't Brilliant. know if I want to hate myself that badly.
2: But... Well, so so how, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking you?
1: Uh, I should be 47 or 48, somewhere in that space.
2: That's funny, because I'm the same age, and I couldn't remember if I was 46 or... So, so, actually, we won't go into how old I am. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's forget that. I, I saw Fleetwood That's Mac like at it. the Hollywood Bowl. I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl, and they were just uh, absolutely awesome. My only regret was that I wasn't uh, closer. But uh, um, yeah. Okay, so Fleetwood Mac...
1: Uh, let's yeah anything Led Zeppelin, which would be in them, like album four, that whole album would be fine. Anything in Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, so that's okay. So I would be one of these guys that would try to sneak not just one song, you know, I'd try to take the whole damn album because nah. that stuff you can listen to for if you're gonna have to listen to it like twenty thousand times, it's okay. That's yeah. basically how many times I've listened to it already, so why not go for more? <sighs> all right, well, so that's yeah.
2: good. Good. Well, I uh, applaud you uh, both for for your choices. Uh, Thank you very much for indulging us in that.